In our previous uh, video, we noted that there are really two questions that come out of the, the death of Christ. Uh, one has to do with the meaning of, of the atonement, and the other has to do with the purpose. What exactly was Christ doing? What was the design, as it were, of the atonement? Uh, and so that leads us to, to this question of the extent of the atonement, because if God is intending, let's say, to save the world, then the extent of the atonement extends universally. If, if uh, the intent of the atonement is to, to uh, bring about the salvation of a select few, uh, say the elect, then we could say then the purpose of the cross was to save the elect and not necessarily to save the world. Um, it, it's interesting when you think about uh, the history of this conflict, especially in, in American Christianity. I, uh, we probably think of, uh, probably in our minds, go back to John Wesley as a great Arminian uh, evangelist, uh, or, or to uh, Whitfield, uh, George Whitfield, um, another great early American evangelist uh, who sparked a great awakening here in America. We forget, I think, that in fact, um, uh, Wesley was a great Arminian and, and Whitfield was, was actually uh, a five-point Calvinist. Uh, and I think for some people, they're a little surprised to find out that, hmm, Calvinists do evangelism too. Uh, but I think it, it, it really depends on how one answers these questions as to what those evangelists perceive they're doing. But there is a funny story uh, of the a woman who came up to Whitfield after he had preached a great sermon, and uh, and, and uh, not knowing that Whitfield and Wesley were great friends, uh, she asked him the question: uh, "Do you think we'll see Wesley in heaven?" Uh, the uh, assumption in the question, of course, was since he disagreed with, with them on this point of doctrine, uh, he must not have been saved. And uh, Whitfield looked at her and he said, uh, no ma'am, I, I don't think you and I will be able to see uh, Wesley in heaven. Uh, I think that uh, Wesley is probably gonna be so close to the Shekinah that we won't be able to see him because of the brightness. Um, so I think, at, at the outset, one of the things we probably need to, to do is, is that realize that, you know, maybe uh, we need to debate these issues and we need to resolve this question, but at the same time, be careful that we don't uh, cast uh, negative aspersions on Christian character because we happen to disagree on uh, what I consider to be a vital point of doctrine, but certainly not one that would divide, should divide brethren. So, um, and, and what is not debated here? Uh, remember this too. What is not debated here is, is, is uh, whether the death of Christ was sufficient for all. I think everybody agrees with that. Uh, even the five-point Calvinist, the, the strict Calvinist who limits the efficacy of the cross to the elect would say that, that certainly the death of Christ was, was sufficient for all. The question is really whether the saving benefits of the cross uh, are, are intended to apply to all. And once again, 
it's not whether the saving benefits are applied to all either, because even the Arminian acknowledges that there is such a place as hell, and there are a lot of people who, for lack of faith, will not enter into heaven. Uh, so once again, we're not, we're not debating either of those questions uh, here on, on this issue. But the cr critical question is, why exactly did Jesus come and die? What was God intending to achieve when Christ uh, gave up his life on the cross? Now the particularist, we call them uh, in our lectures, uh, the particularist is wanting to say that Christ died to save the elect. That's it. The Arminian would argue that Christ died to obtain salvation for all. And, and therein lies the classic debate between the Arminian and the Calvinist, whether Christ died for all, to obtain salvation for all, or whether Christ died to obtain salvation for a select few. There is a third point of view, uh, middle of the road, and it's associated with, uh, with a theologian from Paris, France uh, of the 17th century, uh, Moises Amigot, and we identify his theory as Emeraldianism for that reason, but I think a variant of the view is popular even today as a kind of middle-of-the-road position between this strong Calvinism and this strong Arminianism that would say that um, Christ, it, the word obtain is the problem, uh, and, and Christ really didn't die necessarily to obtain salvation. He died to make salvation possible, to, 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 to make it possible, in fact, for all, is the way Amiro would put it, but to make it certain for the elect, that is, the elect being those who are the special objects of God's grace uh, and who, in fact, exercise faith in, in Christ. Um, so how do particularists defend their view? And you think about passages of scripture that seem to argue against it. Well, um, for one thing, they'll, they'll focus on passages that tend to limit the, the uh, uh, work of Christ. And Christ died for his own. He, he came for his sheep. Uh, he came for his church, his people, those kinds of terms they'll emphasize. Um, and then when they'll look at passages like John 3.16, the Arminian, of course, would, would throw that at the particularist. Um, they would argue that the word world there is not world without exception, because no one wants to say that. He, he obviously didn't save every person. Uh, Universalists, of course, would say that, but no evangelical would say that. So he died... Um, to, for all persons without distinction, not without exception. That is to say, he, he died for Jew, for Gentile, for bond, for free, for male, for female. There is no limit to the possibilities open for all persons uh, across the globe. And they like to, from a theological perspective, they would say, well, you know, this really does justice to God's sovereignty. There are no contingencies. Uh, God has a plan. He works his plan. Uh, and it all comes out exactly the way he intended it. 
uh, it does justice, they say, to the covenant of redemption, the plan of God between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father plans it, the Son executes it, the Spirit applies it. Uh, it's a kind of a done deal, and, and it does justice to the completion of that plan. And, and they would argue that really uh, this is the only way you can really hope for any kind of security. Otherwise, you, you have this sort of trap door that you, you, you fear you might fall through and fall out of God's grace. Um, just one of the things as we try to evaluate that, I think you have to be careful. Um, you know, I think a lot of Baptists like to sort of pick and choose out of Calvinism, you know, some bits and pieces of, of uh, soteriology that they embrace. And I, I think you have to be real careful. Uh, I see this as belonging to a system of theology. We call it covenantalism. Uh, and you see it most uh, faithfully represented in Reformed churches, in Presbyterian churches, in the Westminster Confession, uh, the so-called three forms of unity. Heidelberg Confession, so forth. Uh, and, and, um, but it belongs to a system, and I think when you start pulling pieces out of the system, you, you really um, create some serious problems. Uh, and I think you'll see that in, in your reading. Um, now, I think it is the case that it's probably correct to say that the cross does apply all of its benefits. But that really isn't the question being raised here. And I think it's, it's wrong to suggest that that's the only thing that God was up to. In fact, Paul talks about the, uh, the, the impact of the cross extending across the universe. Uh, he says in Romans 8, the whole world groans waiting for our final redemption. Uh, when the curse is finally lifted. And so we don't even really know um, as John Piper sometimes has said, the, the sun rises reluctantly on the earth uh, upon the unjust. Um, it, it doesn't really want to do that, but it does it in obedience to God. Um, and I think there's, there's that sense, and I, I think we have to be careful that we limit the, the intent of the cross merely to one thing that is accomplished. It's true. The elect are saved uh, through this event. Um, but is that all God was up to? I don't know if we want to say that. Um, and then you have Arminianism. And the, the, again, Arminianism is going to defend their case with, with references to the world, to whosoever, to all or its equivalent. For example, when Jesus said uh, he came for the ungodly, uh, to seek and to save, that which was lost, uh, we certainly don't want to draw from that the, the suggestion that the only people who are really lost are elect people. Um, and then what do you do with the non-elect if they're not lost? Um, certainly that, that uh, is not implied in Jesus' offer. So the Arminian wants to stress that if you look at the language of Scripture in relation to salvation, it's clear Jesus Christ came with the intent of bringing salvation to all persons. And they would stress that there are terms like redemption. Um, uh, in 2 Peter 2.1, uh, Peter says that uh, there are certain false prophets who deny the Lord who 
who bought them, and the term there is actually uh, the agorazo, the, the, the same term that is used in relationship to uh, how he purchases our redemption. Reconciliation. He came to reconcile the world, the Apostle Paul said. Christ is said uh, to be the savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Uh, so you have the distinction between the all and the many. Uh, and then, um, you know, the, the Arminian wants to stress that every obstacle to salvation has been removed in the cross. One of the weaknesses of Arminianism is the fact that it, it operates on a certain kind of free will, absolute contingency idea. And philosophically, uh, I think Arminians get into trouble with that. And I think also, I think in more recent years, we've discovered that Arminianism uh, seems to run become vulnerable to openness thought and, and process theology. Uh, the idea that, uh, that God can't know some things and can't anticipate some things. Um, so it's such a stress on the human participation in salvation that we, we, we lose sight of the greatness of God. Emeraldianism wants to stress that Christ died to make the salvation of all men possible and the salvation of the elect certain. So it looks for some kind of media, mediating position. Uh, sometimes it's associated with hypothetical universalism. Say that, that Christ died equally for all in order to make a universal offer of salvation. Uh, so the idea of obtain is replaced with the idea of purchase, um, and, uh, with the idea of provide. And so it, it, it's, it's not purchased and obtained, it's made available in Christ. Um, now, in, and in that sense, I think uh, it's probably similar to Arminianism, but then there are other areas where it's a little different. For example, um, they, they want to stress, our, our Emeraldians will stress human corruption um, that renders saving faith impossible because of our sin. Um, so in that sense, it's similar to Calvinism, but the difference here is that um, is where the strong Calvinist is going to say, well, then that's why God, God regenerates the unbeliever and then they, the, the elect, and then they believe. Uh, the Arminian wants to say, well, they believe and then they're regenerated. The, the Emeraldian wants to say they're regenerated because of a work of the Holy Spirit in their heart to draw them to Jesus Christ. So in that sense, they're closer to Calvinism than they are to Arminianism. Uh, so, and, and again, at that point, most of the arguments will sound a lot like Arminianism because they'll look at the world passages and the all passages and the many passages um, that suggest that God intends to save all persons. I think in, in the Emeraldian position, they want to suggest that if you're going to have a bona fide offer of salvation, you've got to have the real possibility that uh, for all persons uh, that they may be saved. Uh, and I think uh, this position has, has uh, been popularized at Dallas Theological Seminary, and I think most evangelicals find uh, comfort in the idea that there is a way, a middle kind of middle road, that you can 
you can uh, traverse on this very complex issue, even if we don't understand all of it. I, th I think it's clear that that uh, somewhere on the, the, there's error on, on the far side of the left or the right, and we need to find some kind of middle road position. So particularism at the end of the day is too restrictive, it seems to me, of God's love. Arminianism, on the other hand, is too expansive, and it, it runs vulnerable to universalism. So I think the hypothetical universalism of amoralianism provides us with a, a real middle-of-the-road position that perhaps we should entertain more carefully. Well, God bless you as you continue to wrestle with these issues on your own and, and uh, look for answers in the Word of God.